Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try to not get too loud, to not get too passionate, to not get too unhinged in this particular video, what pisses me off about Hillary Clinton supporters. But I'm not going to make any guarantees because the fire in my belly has been brewing the vast interstellar clay of this particular speech low these many decades. So... Um, I can't make any guarantees. Some of the information going to be kind of shocking, startling. You may even really dislike me at the end of this conversation. That's okay. Sometimes you don't have to take your medicine, or it's better to take your medicine without the sugar. So, as you've probably heard, James O'Keefe dropped his third Project Veritas video today. In fact, the first video was about bird dogging. Uh, which is uh, high-level Democrat operatives talking about how wonderful it is to hire mentally ill homeless people to go and incite riots, fights, and violence at Donald Trump rallies. Mm. I can pretty much taste the Cicero in that oratory. And uh, the second uh, one was uh, high-level Democrat operatives boasting and bragging about their plans to rig elections uh, and uh, and uh, commit voter fraud and so on, and bragging about how they'd been doing it for the past 50 years. Oh, come on, guys. I'm pretty sure it's longer than that. Take credit with credit. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Now, the third one seems a little odd because it involves cartoon ducks coming to life, but uh, it'll make sense after you listen to this. Uh, the third one uh, is about, um, you know, after all the Clinton people denied any connection with the operatives and the people running the packs and all that, uh, naturally, of course, James O'Keefe caught them in his sticky web of facts uh, by um, tracing uh, the influence and direction supposed of Hillary Clinton for this uh, ridiculous, I mean, this should disqualify her alone as this being a good idea, uh, these ducks going around, Donald Ducks releasing his tax returns, <laughs> she's a duck, she's a duck. I certainly can't taste the Cicero in that one. But listen, I want to give you the facts about what is going on in this election? Because there's this gulf, right? We we know. There are all these people on one side, and some of them are Trump supporters. A lot of them are. A lot of them are, are good-hearted, integrity-based, good-natured, moral uh, Jill Stein and Bernie Sanders supporters. And on the other side are like the Democrat machine, uh, the, the rhino machine, the Republicans in name only machine and all that. And there's this gulf. And it's incomprehensible. Like if you're on the side of like got some decency and can't stand it when um, people just lie and cheat and steal and all that kind of stuff. You're looking over this thing like, how could this? how is this possible? How is it possible? How is it possible that Hillary Clinton has credibly been accused of so many crimes going back decades? How is it possible that she is still the front runner for the Democrats? How is it conceivable? Is there no one better that you got got 150 million people that slice half the population. Is there no one you can come up with who's better than Hillary Clinton? And um, it's kind of incomprehensible to people. And and what happens is the people on this side, the people on the like righteous side of the political divide, looking across this Grand Canyon saying, hello, do you know all of the laws she's claimed, the people claim she's broken? Do you know all of the horrible things she's been accused of do you know all of the evidence that is mounting hello and people on the other side are like i don't know i can't hear anything can you hear anything? a little buzzing in my ear can you hear anything i can't hear anything and it's incomprehensible so the people on the good decent side of the political divide are like keep piling up more evidence you know like a prosecutor say would 
keep piling up more evidence and saying, well, look, she did this, she did this, she did this, she compromised security. Just recently, she was out there campaigning within 50 feet of a polling station, which is illegal. <laughs> she was reported to have stolen things from the White House when she and Bill Clinton exited and mishandled security all over the place and destroyed evidence and lied under oath and... <laughs> you know, doing this old granny playing dumb, wipe the server with a cloth while the other hand behind the curtain is hitting her smartphones with a hammer. <laughs> Come on. And we're saying, oh, there's all this evidence, say the people on the decent side. And people are like, oh, I'm still going to vote for her. And this is incomprehensible. I'm here to make it comprehensible for you. I'm going to generalize lots of exceptions. So please don't prove my thesis entirely correct by pointing out that there are exceptions to these general trends. I know a tall Chinese guy. I know a short Danish person. Okay, I'm going to put those people out of my head because it's really tough to do intelligent stuff with the gnats of tiny brains buzzing around your neofrontal cortex. So, ah, let us go gently into that good night. So, who supports Hillary Clinton? Well, it's not the basket of deplorables. It's the basket of people who can't spell deplorables and don't know what it means. So, who do we have? Well, we have, of course, single moms. Very, very keen on uh, supporting Hillary Clinton. Uh, Hispanics, you know, pretty keen. Some have switched over, but pretty keen on supporting Hillary Clinton. Blacks, pretty keen on supporting Hillary Clinton. And a variety of other people, but, you know, let's just deal with that. Um, so what do these things have in common? Well, if you look at, say, the average IQ of the American black, we're talking about 85 or so, relative to the sort of 100 for um, whites, about 103, 105 for Chinese and Japanese and uh, Koreans and so on, and 115 uh, and way up there in the verbal scale for Ashkenazi Jews and so on. So we've got about 85 for blacks. Uh, Hispanics clocking in at around 90 and single moms clocking in in the low 90s. So, hmm. <laughs> These are the kind of people who look at a cartoon duck saying, Donald Ducks releasing tax returns and say, ooh, that's Shakespearean to me. And, and this is the basic fact, that one of the things that is highly correlated in a country is, well, for democracy, you need IQ 90 or more in general, like for a sort of functional, functioning, reasonable democracy with some free market aspect, separation of church and state, you need bare minimum 90 plus and higher you go, the more likely you are to be able to achieve and sustain. And we've had Dr. Helmuth Nyberg on the show talking about this. And again, we'll put all the links to this below. I'm sorry if this is shocking to you. It's not my fault. No one tells you anything important. I'm just here to try and help and fix that. So intelligence is required for the deferral of gratification. The deferral of gratification is required for that little thing we call civilization. If you can't defer gratification, you end up with these corrupt societies. The higher IQ you have in a particular country, usually the lower the corruption is. Because smart people recognize corruption might get you something in the here and now, but it destroys your society in the long run. And the deferral of gratification, which generally arises from cultures where the genetics were influenced by the need to survive winter. You know, if you're not good at deferring gratification, you're not going to survive the winter. And so generally, those cultures that experienced uh, very strong winters, European cultures, Siberian cultures, generally, and if they're involved in livestock management and farming and so on, deferral of gratification becomes pretty keen. Yes, I know. The Inuit 
<laughs> they didn't farm. It's a whole different thing. So that's the reality. Now, the freest cultures, the freest societies in the world arose in general, in Western Europe as a whole. Uh, and, you know, going all the way back to the ancient Greeks, 2,500 years of philosophy, the ancient Romans, very pragmatic and, and practical and useful, Roman law and so on. All of this stuff went back uh, a long way. And I think the West has not had much luck trying to reproduce its values in other countries and other cultures, whether that's because of IQ, uh, whether that's because the degree to which culture is genetic. I don't know. But you see, it's kind of important that we don't know. You kind of want to figure that out before you start doing this um, frappe uh, blending and mixing of all these different cultures, religions, ethnicities, and races. You might want to find out whether that's even remotely sustainable. Because if it is, it would be the first time in human history that has occurred. And uh, it's kind of a dice roll to, to take. So the Hillary Clinton supporters generally are either low intelligence or high indoctrination right? So the high indoctrination people, those are the people who've gone through the arts, who've gone through teacher's college, who's gone through journalism school, who've gone like, and, and been just rampantly indoctrinated with left-wing uh, left brain-destroying garbage uh, that just is, is basically baked over and warmed up Marxism that infects you with the virus of resentment, uh, which gives you the permission to act on your hatred and your frustration at having been lied to gets projected onto everyone else and all the sins that you are dying in your heart to commit, you pretend everyone else is committing so you can attack them. But I won't go into all of that in much detail. We've talked about it before on this show. So you've got low intelligence and high indoctrination, which kind of has the same effects uh, in the end. And those are the people who love Hillary Clinton. And see, this is the thing. If you are not smart, and high indoctrination, low intelligence, we're just going to put in the general basket of not smart. If you're not smart, then you don't want to compete in the free market with people who are smart. You understand? So if you're not smart, what you want to do is you want to run to the government and you want to get the government to take on the risk of taking money from smarter people and giving it to you. You understand? See, the smart genes and the not smart genes, you've got to look as two subspecies of the same animal attempt to compete in the same environment for the same resources. You know what that means? Only one will win. You get a gray squirrel, you get a brown squirrel, you get a black squirrel, you get a red squirrel. You don't get them all together because if any subspecies tries to inhabit the same environment, one is going to win out and the other one's going to be driven out or die off or whatever. <laughs> so, the smart genes and the dumb genes are at war. They always have been and they always will be. Now, in the past, the dumb genes tend to win out. And then a variety of things happened that weeded out the dumb genes, which was a lot of wars and a lot of the Black Death in particular and so on, which allowed the smart genes to take a step forward. And then the smart genes were able to connect with the infusion of intelligence from previous smart genes that survived through the printed text uh, uh, from the ancient world um, and were kept alive by the church and nurtured by the church, as we talked about recently with Dr. Duke Pasta on this very channel. You might want to check it out. And then there was this kaboom, this astonishing, unprecedented, new, only one spanking, fresh-faced for the first time in 150,000 years of human evolution, you went from late Middle Ages to the Renaissance, to the Enlightenment, to the Age of Reason, to the Industrial Revolution, to the 20th century, to us. Boom. Broke the cycle of history. Smart genes took over. And the foundation of that was the genius of the people who designed the American system who were inheriting it from all of the largely British 
Philosophers of the Enlightenment. I mean, if you want to, you can go and look up great Mexican moral philosophers or great sub-Saharan African moral philosophers or great Australian outback Aboriginal moral philosophers. Good luck. That <laughs> helps explain why the societies end up so enormously different. So there was this disruption of the historical starvation level of humanity, you know, like in, in Europe during the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, like 5 to 10% of the population would just starve to death every year. So all that was broken and changed. And the smart genes won out. And the smart genes designed America. The smart genes designed the free market. The smart genes designed all of the modern communications technologies that we're using, that we're having right now. Why are you able to hear me? And the dumb genes were lifted. Rising tide lifted all the boats. Everybody's doing better. But you see, the not smart genes, not good at deferring gratification, see all of the resources that the smart genes are accumulating, don't see all the stuff that's trickling down to them and say, I want that. And then socialism, communism, egalitarianism comes along and says to the dumb genes, ooh, they're only rich because you're poor. They're only, they only have stuff because they took it from you. They're thieves. They're, they're, they're exploiters. They're parasites. But don't worry. Give us political power and we go and get back what is yours from the smart people and we'll give it to you because you're just the same as they are. The only reason you're not as rich is because they stole from you. <laughs> right? The dumb genes, the not-so-smart genes are like, yeah, 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 bet that's it. Yeah, let's go give them the power. Let's give them the vote. Let's give them the money. They'll go get all the resources from the smart people and give it to us because we deserve it. Now, without the state, I got no problem with not-smart people. No problem at all. No problem at all. I love the variety of the human condition and the human experience. But with the state, mm, we have a problem. We have a problem. It's the old George Carlin line. Hey, think of how dumb the average person is. Well, half of them are dumber than that. <laughs> and that's the reality, right? And so you get this mob rule, this mob mentality. Because the whole point of the American experiment, republic, not a democracy, remember, is, yeah, you can have mob rule in other countries, but not here. Here, we are going to bound the mob in with the chains of the Constitution. We're going to bind the ferocity and cruelty of the mob, which was so hideously unleashed in the French Revolution, you're going to bind it in, right? Which is why originally you had to be a property holder in order to vote, because people said, well, you can't let everyone vote because the poor outnumber the rich. So if you let everyone vote, the poor will simply vote to take away the property of the rich and everyone will end up poor. Society's scarce resources won't accumulate to those best able to maximize and increase them, but will be dissipated in the endless chirping moors of the poor. So what Bastiat was talking about, is always talking about, is the seen versus the unseen, right? Government creates a bunch of jobs. You see those. You don't see all the other jobs that were destroyed, never created, couldn't, right? Doesn't, doesn't, they never came into being. So it takes intelligence to see the unseen, which is the foundation of a just and fair and right society. So 1965, Ted Kennedy says, let's switch immigration from Europe to the third world. Let's switch immigration from a high IQ population to generally a low IQ population. Ah, what happens? Well, 
you get a massive expansion of the welfare state. Because smart people are very rarely going to use the welfare state, because if you're smart, you do better in the free market than you do in welfare, and you understand that ahead of time, so you don't do it. But if you're not smart, the welfare state is a fantastic deal, which is why people aren't coming to the West for the freedoms, they're coming for the free stuff, which will destroy the freedoms. (laughs) You get one, you get free stuff, or you get freedoms, you don't get both. Not for long, anyway. And so, when you look across this canyon that I mentioned earlier, you look across this giant canyon, you see all the people on the other side who don't seem to care about the corruption. Of course they don't care about the corruption. The corruption, you see, is how they get their stuff. The corruption is how they get their stuff. Like if you win a lottery ticket for a million dollars, you go to the company and the guy who hands you the check, someone says, you know, he's a bad guy. I think he made it being car thief recently. He's like, I don't care, just give me the money. So, of course, people on the receiving end of of government money are not into property rights, and they're not into limited government. Of course not. Of course, why why would you be? If you need big government to get your checks, of course you're going to be into big government. How could it be otherwise? This is why there aren't a lot of single moms for small government groups around, right? I mean, it's just the way it works. It's, It's perfectly natural. And the displacement or replacement of more intelligent people with less intelligent people, because more intelligent people don't breed well in captivity, which is why when the government gets bigger and the debt grows, smart people get anxious and stop breeding, and dumb people breed like crazy because they get free stuff and it sure beats working, and the government can be relied upon to go and get all the resources from the shrinking pool of smart people and give it to the less smart people. It's a perfect evolutionary strategy if you look at the state as a kind of ecosystem wherein human gene pools are fighting for supremacy. Take away the state, we can all live in peace and harmony, but that's not, of course, what people who can't defer gratification want. They don't want to get rid of the state because the state will give them something in the here and now. But if there's no state giving them something in the here and now, they're going to have to go out and work. And and, and by this, I mean rich people in the military-industrial complex and all that as well. You can be smart and rich and corrupt and subject to the same corruption that occurs with the state. And this is what it really finally comes down to. We have to take the corruption of the state away from less intelligent people. We do this as an act of love, as an act of concern, as an act of care. In the same way we would take gently and nicely, we would take the drugs away from a drug addict who otherwise will die. We are going to take the drink away from the drunk. We are going to flick the cigarette out of the chain smoker's mouth. We are going to gently and nicely take away the corrupting fruits of state power from the people who can't understand how much it is damaging them and damaging the future and destroying everything. Destroying everything. And this reality that the less intelligent people in society are currently consuming all the seed crop that is necessary to plant for next year. That they are killing the goose that lays the golden egg. Ooh, there's got to be lots of eggs in there. Oh, it's dead. We have to say no to this. We have to. Out of care, out of compassion. Out of the significant moral responsibility that comes from being smart. If you're smart, you can understand these things. I know it's scary sometimes to stand up against the mob. I'm sorry, that's the job. You got a big brain, you stand up against the mob and you say, stop, it's bad for you, back off. (laughs) I'm sorry, smart people need to take this over because you don't know what you're doing and you're merely satisfying the appetites at the moment at the expense of survival in the future. You're eating the food 
you need for the winter. Stop it! Because we'll all die otherwise. And this is the reality of where we're heading, you understand? This is where the supporters of Hillary and, and this leftist stuff, they're dragging us. Argentina used to be a paradise relative to now. Did you know up until after the Second World War? Right there. It had the same per capita income as America, as the USA, Argentina. Whoosh, fell off the socialist hellhole. Right off the socialist roller coaster into the fiery pit of perdition. Venezuela versus Chile. I did a whole presentation on Venezuela. You can check it out. Venezuela went full Chavista, went full socialist, despite having huge oil reserves and, and a fairly good infrastructure and a fairly well-educated population. Into the pit, into the sinking, slimy pit of democide it goes. Compare that to Chile, which went more free market. The disparity is clear. And this is what you're going to look forward to if the people on the other side of that canyon have their way. Everybody goes down, everybody goes in, and you'll wake up in the morning and your first thought will be, how do I get food? And when you wake up at the morning, which will be at 3 o'clock in the morning, you will put your plastic bags on your feet and you will shuffle down the dusty stairway. You will go through the sewage-stained street and you will join the line of shuffling dominoes, socialist, slimed zombies waiting to hopefully get a piece of bread from the local bakery. And you will cross your fingers and you will hope so because your children are hungry and you need to feed them and you have no food. Because in socialism, you wait for bread. In capitalism, oh, bread waits for you. All there lined up in tasty rolls. And you will line up and maybe you will get a scrap of moldy bread and maybe you won't. And then you will walk home and you will say, I am so thirsty. I would drink out of a moose track. <laughs> As one guy I did, it was one guy I knew did when we were gold panning and prospecting and when I did that after high school. And you get home and you turn on the tap and your children are hungry and you split up the moldy bread and you turn on the tap and... <coughs> come spitting out, coughing worse than a Hillary rally with no lozenges, and you put your cracked cup under the brown, eerie-style water, and you think, well, I, I, I got a drink. I'm going to die if I don't drink. Is it cholera? Is it diphtheria? Is it typhus? What is going to be in here? I don't know. And if I get sick, what am I going to do? Because the lineups for the hospitals go on and on and there's no medicine in the hospitals and half the doctors have fled the country and there's no way to treat anything if I get something, but I've got a drink. And God help me, God help me, if I get a cut and it gets infected. And you hope for the sound of helicopters and you hope for the sound of people from less socialist countries sending you food. And you hope that it doesn't too much end up in the black market. And you hope that you can scuffle together some useless banknotes and try and trade them for something that maybe you can trade for a bit of food. And the drawbridge of the rich will go up as they retire to their moats, to their castles, to their supremely well-walled off and security patrolled biospheres of indifference to your suffering out there. And the society will split into the very rich, the tiny oligarchs and the countless hordes trying to play soccer on busted balls through cracked and corrugated neighborhoods that seem to stretch on forever because 
they have in history stretched on forever and they will in the future stretched on stretch on forever and they will do so in europe and they will do so in north america and they will do so until we say stop we know enough now socialism kills communism killed 100 million people just in the 20th century alone governments slaughtered 250 million of their own population in the 20th century alone it is a dangerous servant and a murderous master and to rely on your safety and security to the power of the state well all that will guarantee is that you end up with neither safety nor security we have to say no we have to stop it i know what will happen i've got a whole presentation on the fall of rome you should check it out i know what will happen because i know history and if you see deeply into history you see the most likely path without significant willpower for change of the future. And the future is this. We slide into a tide of third world hellhole where the government doesn't have any money. The people don't have any resources. All of the giant, wonderful Western cathedrals of freedom and liberty and separation of church and state and free market and property rights and individual security and freedom of expression, all of those will crumble under this wave of low intelligence, greediness, and, and, and grabbing and eating for the survival of the moment without the wisdom of the bear who's willing to eat a lot in order to hibernate and last through the winter I mentioned earlier. And all of these wonderful freedoms and these things that we enjoy, the capacity to have these conversations, the capacity to reason with each other, the capacity to keep what we own, the capacity to walk our neighborhoods, the capacity to enjoy our communities and our neighborhoods without fear of, of being stabbed and grabbed or kidnapped or end up hanging off a bridge with a burlap sack over our genitals. Like, we don't need to fear any of this because none of this is inevitable. It can all be stopped. If we have the consciousness, the willpower, the communications, the strength to stand up to the mob and say, stop, stop, not to beg, but to command, with all the emphasis in our being, because everything is being pulled apart, everything is being pulled down, everything that the West has built for 2,500 years or more is being disassembled in front of our very eyes doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to end up pitiful and, and scared and hungry and thirsty and fearful. We don't have to end up trying to throw homemade nets over seagulls to bring them hope and hope there's enough electricity to boil them so we don't have to eat them raw. We don't have to be hunting rats. We don't have to leave scraps of food out hoping that a squirrel come by so we can seize it. To survive another day, this does not have to be our fate. But we must act. We must put everything on the line. Our relationships, our security, everything on the line. To cry out these truths with all the muscle and fiber of our very souls. Otherwise, we shall pass from history. We shall fall into the churning green ocean of forgetfulness and calumny and scorn. And in hundreds of years, in thousands of years, there will be rumors and Kublai Khan-style fantasies of a society that once was free.
that once had pride, that once had nobility, that once had liberty, that once had words, not fists, that had productivity, not cross-class predatory consumption, that had health, that had opportunity, that had peace. And people will look down into the boiling, churning green sea of history and see faint flickers of a glorious building deep in the depths whose lights of liberty went out like the lights of the Titanic as it sank into nothingness. And there would be vague stories, broken histories, scraps and bits, four seconds of this video. And people will look back and look down and say there was nothing that sank this ship. There was nothing that brought this civilization down but laziness and indifference and a lack of respect for the treasures we inherited. It does not have to be that way. Stand up. Be public. Speak out. Save us all.